It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is sponsored by Atkins Realis, a world-leading design, engineering, and project management organization. <laughs> Welcome back to the Prospect Podcast. I'm Ellen Halliday, Deputy Editor at Prospect, and today I'm joined from Labour Party Conference by Sam Friedman. Sam is, of course, a political columnist who writes for us at Prospect, as well as being Senior Fellow at the Institute for Government and a former Senior Policy Advisor at the Department for Education. Hi, Sam. How are you doing? Uh, good morning. It's uh, day three of conference, so I'm a little, uh, a little exhausted, but I will power through as best I can. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate you joining. So you're up in Liverpool at the moment, and this is your first Labour Party conference in a while. What made you decide to take the plunge and and dive back into party conferences after after some time? Yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, I went to Tory conferences 2007, 2008, 2009, and that was enough, I felt, for a lifetime. But with Labour you know, pretty close to power, I did want to see what the mood was like here, how people were feeling about how ready they were for government, you know, how, how the party was being managed. So, yes, yeah, it's been interesting, but I've also remembered what I find so exhausting about these things, constant panels and receptions and uh, and meetings, which, given I spend most of my time in a room writing quietly by myself, is uh, is is a bit much. But anyway. Yeah, quite a gear change for, for a writer to then be thrown into all of that. But so, I mean, can you give us a sense of of what the atmosphere and the mood is. As you say, this is potentially Labour's last conference before many expect that they might become the government. Is the mood an excited one? Is there a sense of energy? I think the, the there has been a shift in that, you know, even a couple of months ago, when you talked in private to Labour people, they was they were genuinely very nervous about about winning the election. Despite the polls, they thought Tories are gonna you know, they're going to have something up their sleeve. We can't, you know, we really, not not just sort of a public, we can't be complacent, but but we actually, you know, really can't uh, believe that this is happening. And, and now it starts to feel like they are believing. They still obviously are very nervous. They want to control everything as tightly as possible, make sure everything, you know, no mistakes, etc. But I think the Tory conference actually, you know, they watched that with sort of bemusement and the kind of shambolic Tory conference. Thought, well, if that's the best you've got, you know, given that we're already 15, 20 points ahead in the polls, we probably are going to win. And then that kind of both makes people more excited and also creates a bit of trepidation because, you know, they know they're going to be coming in to a situation where where things are in a pretty bad way and, and government isn't going to be at all easy. 
Yeah. I mean, we're speaking just actually ahead of, of Starmer's speech at party conference. This podcast will come out after, but we've got a sense of some of what he might say, don't we? What's going to be his message? Um, so the sort of policy message is around you know, what they're trying to be trying to push, not just this week, but for a while now, which is growth and the, the sort of importance of growth. And the sort of overarching message is, you know, there isn't much more scope for tax and spending, which I'm not sure I agree with, but uh, that's what they certainly the message they want to get out there. So really, the only route out of this mess is growth, which definitely it is an important part of the route out of here. And so he's talking about you know, planning reform, building, house building and and devolution down to mayoral combined authorities. Uh, who, you know, they Labour believe, I think, with some justification, can really sort of push on growth in some of our larger cities outside of London, where we have a sort of historic productivity problem. So so that's the kind of, insofar as there's a policy message, that's it. I suspect we'll get a lot mm. about his personal life story again. We will hear for the four millionth time that his dad was a toolmaker, which is the right thing to do, because political obsessives know this by now. But uh, a voter will hear, be hearing it for the first time. So yeah, so I don't think it's going to be. I don't think there's going to be any massive surprises. I might mm. be proved horribly wrong by the time this comes out, but I, I think we we kind of know the know the drill by now. Yeah, I mean, some of that's been trailed already through conference. Rachel Reeves um, has been speaking about Labour bringing an era of economic responsibility. You know, she's emphasised, as you say, is is an obvious message to make that people will be better off working under Labour. But she's become quite a prominent figure obviously she's got a very important role within Labour but what she's been talking about at conference has been quite quite powerful she's been very visible is there a sense that she is also you know being put forward um, and prepared for this what will be a very key role in government well I think her speech yesterday went down very well uh, and the sort of talk not just amongst Labour members but sort of journalists and people who aren't sort of Labour partisans was you know that it was the speech of the conference season mm-hmm. and that she had you know, there was there was a risk she would upstage Starmer, and you know, I don't think there's much chance of a sort of Brown Blair type uh, feuding starting uh, yet, anyway. But 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 certainly there's a sense that it was the kind of speech you might see from a leader rather than a shadow chancellor, uh, and and it certainly strengthened her position uh, both within the party and sort of in in the media. That said, uh, she's going to be becoming chancellor assuming they do win the election in probably the most difficult economic situation since the mid-70s. So any popularity or any sort mm. of success she might be able to build up could be dissipated quite quickly if um, if she's unable to get control of that situation. And you, you talked about the the kind of sense of excitement in conference. How important are speeches like Rachel Reeves if they go down well in kind of building an energy in the in the delegates and the people who are attending and kind of galvanizing them. Yeah, I think it's important just for confidence building. Like this this conference is not going to be sort of widely noticed by by voters both because there's not a huge amount of exciting new information about anything, uh, but also obviously because of the horrific situation in Israel this week, which is which is far more globally important, but I think for the people that are here, both for the members and for the for the sort of wider kind of political uh, superstructure that sort of sits around these conferences, all the journalists and the lobbyists and so on, to see Labour performing well, it, it just it gives it gives everybody a, a sort of belief that these guys are definitely going to win, which creates momentum and and sort of helps continue uh, them on their path towards what looks like a, a victory next year. In your most recent column for us, Sam, you you wrote about kind of the the dearth of of new policy, but both from the Tories and. And also to an extent from from Labour that we were in a sort of a, a fallow period um, in which there aren't 
many brilliant ideas kind of coming forward and there isn't a great sense of what government will look like. Has that continued through conference season or do you feel like we have a bit more of a sense now of the kind of policies the next government might pursue? So I think on the growth agenda, they'd already started laying out a reasonable set of policy ideas and a sort of broader strategy around around infrastructure and building. There's a lot of detail to be filled in. Of course, that will always be true with opposition policy, but I think it's pretty clear what their their goal is. And if you look at other policy areas, it's much less clear, you know, education, health, welfare, with no money to spend or, or the desire not to not to say they're going to spend any money pre-election. It, it's very hard. You can't reform without money. You can't make big announcements about rebuilding or capital investment without money. So it's just very difficult. And I think they have, you know, both parties, but but Labour this week have struggled to set out much of a vision for the public sector, mm-hmm. other than to say it's in a very bad state, which it is. But the, the sort of corollary of that is, OK, and you have to do something quite substantive to change that. But what they're talking about are you know, free breakfast clubs or some more MRI scanners. Th- these are not bad things. They're just not at the scale of, of, of the solution required and they're not systematic. Mm-hmm. So that, and I, th- I think if there's a worry here, you know, there is that sort of confidence and that sort of belief starting to come through. But if there's a worry, it's that the policy agenda isn't being developed, not just in public, but also behind the scenes mm-hmm. at enough speed for, for the challenges they're going to face. Why is that? It's very difficult, you know. As an opposition party, you don't have very many resources. The money, you know, it's only very recently that they've started to get you know, decent money coming back in from donors. Um, they have started hiring some people now. You know, Sue Gray being the most prominent of those n- new hires as Starmer's chief of staff, though she's not a policy person particularly. But they just don't have very much capacity. Opposition parties tend not to. And you know, this was not a party even a couple of years ago that anyone thought had any chance of winning. So they didn't want to work there. They didn't want to give them money. It's very, very, very sudden turnaround in the in the scheme of things, and that doesn't give them very much time to get ready. I think most people thought this was a two term project. They'd have this term to sort the party out, and another term of Boris Johnson to to prepare a sort of agenda for the country. But they've had to speed that all up, and it's mm-hmm. just. hard to do with very little capacity and in an incredibly difficult and constrained environment. One of the the big topics that is kind of being discussed this morning is this these announcements on on housing, a big boost in affordable housing, talk of of building new housing on parts of the green belt that Labour are calling the grey belt, so these more kind of brownfield sites. That sounds like it it may be, you know, a message that does get quite a lot of attention. People are talking a lot about the the housing shortage. Is that one of the kind of key talking points? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, 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 this is the big piece of the policy agenda they have they have sort of set out, and it's you know incredibly needed. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think um, you sort of see the people at Tory think tanks looking on enviously at this policy agenda, sort of wishing that their own government would would do this because it's so so obviously needed. And it also, it's one of the very few things they're doing that's a bit risky, you know, because mm. the Green Belt is popular, partly because of its name, and it's a nice, clever bit of branding to, to sort of call it the Grey Belt. So it, it feels not just substantive in a way that other policy areas don't have much, but also like they're prepared to take a little bit of a risk on something that is starting to become a bit of an existential issue for the country. One of the big announcements at, at Tory conference was, of course, the cancellation of the Northern Leg of of HS2 and one of the questions for a Labour conference was whether there would be any announce about how Labour would would, would follow that um, if they're then in government. How 
how much discussion has there been about that both behind the scenes and kind of officially? I mean, I think the the, the, the sort of decision was made very quickly. As they have done all the way through, they're just not going to go into any Tory trap. The moment the Tories try to set a dividing line, they'll just not go there. And even though that will then create a bit of tensions on their own side sometimes, it is the right strategy. You're just not, you're just starving them of the of the campaigning tool that they want to use. You know, they 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 are desperate to say Labour would spend all this money on HS2 and wouldn't fill in your potholes and wouldn't build your local railway and 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 they're just not going to let them say that. So, or at least not let them say that with any truth behind it. So I, I think the actual decision was made very, very quickly, if you like. But what they actually do in government with that, I don't know. I think there's a lot of sort of, we're just going to avoid the dividing line for now and then see where we are in a year's time. Because it would be difficult for them to to just sort of U-turn on it as, well, U-turn on what is the current government's position when they come back in. But the question of HS2 is obviously linked to those questions of growth that, that uh, Rachel Reeves has also been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, yeah, housing is a big part of it. Infrastructure is a big part of it. And, and transport is a massive part of infrastructure. And we have a very poor transport infrastructure, particularly for rail. So they won't be able to go ahead with exactly what the government set out last week, because what the government set out last week isn't a plan. It's just a sort of, it was a very rushed, uh, shambolic announcement that has sort of crumbled. So so they may not be able to go ahead with HS2 in the same way as had originally been planned, but they will need a new plan. I just don't think they're going to get into it much before an election. It's quite technical. And and as I say, they just want to avoid the campaign the Tories clearly want to run, which is Labour will spend all this money. After the break, we'll talk more about Labour, party conferences, and whether we're finally getting a sense of what the future might look like. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to consume more of our journalism, we'd encourage you to subscribe. A subscription unlocks full access to Prospect content across newsletters, web, app and print. And right now, a subscription to Prospect costs as little as £1 per month. Visit prospectmagazine.co.uk and subscribe now. Media Confidential is a brand new weekly podcast that takes you behind the headlines. When the media goes dark, democracy is at risk. Monitoring those people that monitor us is vital. Expect revealing, high-profile interviews, in-depth analyses. There's me, Alan Rusbridger. And me, Lionel Barber. Strive to discover the truth behind the clickbait. So follow, like and subscribe to Media Confidential brought to you by Prospect Magazine. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The biggest story in, in the world this week is the, the violence in Israel and Palestine, everything that we're we're seeing there, the impact of which will no doubt endure um, and continue into the next government. So this is an issue that Labour have to kind of take seriously and get to grips with. Again, Rachel Reeves has spoken about that, condemned the attacks by Hamas and our factions on Israeli citizens. How much is that being discussed? And and how much would you say that Labour are talking about these kind of foreign policy issues as well as the, the domestic stories? So, so it hasn't been much discussed of in the, in the official platforms or, 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 or around the fringe, it's almost too big to to, to sort of uh, consider alongside the sort of much more parochial, smaller issues that that, that that people are talking about here and that have been planned for sort of months and so on. But of course, it's it's there as an underlying theme, and I think Labour have been very very quick to make sure again they know what the attack line would be. You know, these guys are soft on 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 terroristic violence. It's you know Corbyn's still there lurking in the background, so they've been very quick to stamp that out um, and to show to to make it clear that they essentially support the government's line on 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 the conflict. Uh, and there hasn't been very much dissent about that, you know, which I think is indicative of the fact that the sort of left of the Labour Party just not here. Um, mm. They've abandoned the playing field for now entirely reasonably because they've been. You know, they know they're not going to get anywhere before the election. So there's a bit of tension about it, but there's not been a sort of sense of it being a major sort of issue of disagreement because actually the, the conference as a whole is so controlled by the party leadership and nearly everyone here is very loyal and they've, you know, so everyone's sort of sticking to the line. I mean, I think that's an interesting question about who comes to party conference and how that sort of changes over the years because, in, I mean, in the past you would have expected um, a large number of of party members from across the country to come, but these things are are expensive now. As you say, there are kind of different uh, factions within parties who may or may not be more influential at a certain time. What kind of groups have you run into at Labour this year? And would you say there's a there's a sense of division or is there a sense of unity? They are expensive. People don't tend to come unless they feel like they're going to be welcome and, and they're going to be sort of part of the group that are um, in charge these days. I mean, it used, there used to be much more sort of tense affairs and there used to be sort of far more uh, actual debate. Uh, now now they're so controlled that there's not much point coming unless you're sort of part of the, the in-group. So there are party members here. There are, there are quite a few party members here. Labour is still a much bigger party than any of the other parties in terms of their membership base. There are a lot of lobbyists. There are a lot of business people. You know, there are a lot of candidates and and uh, and MPs. Um, so it feels very corporate's the wrong word because that would suggest everyone here is a business person, which they're not. But it feels very um, sort of controlled and managed, and like everyone here is in a professional capacity rather than. To have some fun and to argue about politics um, in, in sort of the way you might have had at a conference in the uh, in earlier years. We're, we're kind of speaking ahead of Keir Starmer's speech. It's going to be one of his last chances potentially to speak to such a friendly audience. 
um, before the, the next general election. How do you think he'll judge whether it's gone well, whether this conference has been a success for Labour um, and whether they can kind of continue building that that momentum that's you know potentially there from the Rutherglen by-election and, and onwards? So I think you've sort of got three three marks you're looking for. The first is not to screw up, right? Not to give any ammunition to your opponent, not to do anything that becomes a big ongoing negative story. And so far they've achieved that. We'll see if they manage to get through to the end uh, on that basis. Second is that in doing so and in looking professional and competent, you make everyone believe that you can win and that helps sort of continue the momentum sort of from Rutherglen and you know, hopefully from their point of view in, in Midbeds and Tamworth as well uh, next week. Um, the, the third would be actually really breaking through with the British public and not just being better than the Tories, but offering something that people were genuinely getting excited about. I think in practice, they're not really going to have the chance to do that now this week because it's not it's not the main news story. And in any case, even if it was, they don't have anything spicy enough in terms of policy to to, to break through to what is an incredibly sort of pissed off uh, voter ba- population at the moment. So I think they'll they'll achieve the first two, assuming nothing goes wrong today. I, I don't think they were probably ever going to really achieve the third. But I think given that they're already 15, 20 points ahead, the Tory conference was such a mess, they'll be happy with with with, with that. Yeah. So around conference, there's often a lot of talk about these side events, the kind of social events. You know, you see Pretty Patel and Nigel Farage dancing at Tory party conference. What goes on at Labour outside of the official speech making? Well, nothing as horrendous as that um, that I saw anyway. Um, I mean, maybe I, I'm going to the tamer, tamer sort of events and receptions, but to be honest, I don't, there, there's nothing sort of dramatic happening outside the the uh, official lens that that isn't happening on stage you know that that's a sort of a, a sort of a mark of the level of control you know there is still obviously a lot of drinking that happens at these things but you know the first the first few i went to 15 years ago there were lots of drunk people wandering around um i think at tory conference this year there were quite a lot of drunk people wandering around trying to drink away their misery here there's some of that but it's it, it just it all feels a lot more professional and uh, and, and as a result, quite dull. But that's kind of fine if what you're trying to show is that you're the sober, sensible option for government. Well, listen, Sam, thank you. That's really helpful to get your insights. And thanks for joining us on what I know is a, a busy few days for you. Um, so enjoy the rest of conference and we'll, we'll no doubt catch up afterwards to figure out where Labour goes next. Thanks so much to Sam for joining us. And for our listeners at home, grab a copy of our latest issue of Prospect magazine, which includes our exclusive cover story, an interview with the Governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, by Lionel Barber, plus Jane Shaw on reparations in the Church of England, a brief encounter with Rory Stewart, and an excellent political column by Sam. And to listen to more of our podcast output, including this one, Media Confidential and Prospect Lives, follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. 
Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable splash refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.